What would you say to your future self about how to live with no regrets? In today's episode, our special guest is our friend Christoph Zajak Denik, as he shares his journey of being a drummer, surfing, and acting. Also, he shares how he had to develop a thick skin from being judged as a little person. Stay tuned to his incredibly inspiring story. You won't want to miss it. Hello, you are listening to The Power of Investing in People with Shay Sparks. I had the honor of being on the show with Shay and wow, how authentic she is and how much I know that she wants to keep hope alive in the community. So thank you all for joining. And everyone here today, I'm offering a special to all active duty or retired military to my all access on-demand training where we learn how to dream, believe, and achieve our best life. Please visit at timlanefitness.com and I'll see you all soon. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. I am your host, Shay Sparks, Chief Excitement Officer of Sparks of Fire International, where we get you fired up about your life and your business by transforming trauma into treasure. Check out my new collaborative co-author book called Hashtag Firestarters, How to Be a Spark of Hope in the Midst of Change on my website at shaysparks.com. And today, my guest is the amazing... Christoph Zajac Denek. Did I say that correctly? You nailed it. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, Christoph, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to be chatting with you and, and honored to be on the show. So thank you so much for having me. Well, I was honored to meet you just, gosh, it's only been what, two months ago, two and a half yeah. months ago that we met at Podcast Movement? Nashville. Yep. Yeah. And it was just so fun to connect with you and hang out and dance on the dance floor and all the things. Yeah. So it's great. Yeah. We had a blast. I feel like we just had an instant connection that was, well, you really surprised me actually the first time we met because you didn't see my size necessarily. And that always takes me by surprise, I guess. And I, yeah, that that was just a, a really unique experience for me because so many people just see that first about me and mm. you didn't. And that was, that was really cool. Yeah, we were, we were in a speed networking where you were telling me about yourself and, and you were like, yeah, I have this podcast. I'm kind of a big deal. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And he, you're like, yeah, because I'm, I'm a little person. And I was like, oh, you are? <laughs> <laughs> because I, when you sat down, I was already sit- seated. So it didn't even occurred to me. I was, uh, I sat down really quickly, <laughs> like a flash, but I like was just flash. literally focused yeah, yeah. on your story and you have this energy that just exudes sunshine from. So I think I was just enamored by that. So I didn't oh. even pay attention to your physical. Thank you so much. I, I, I feel like I'm not always like that, but I, I feel that from you too, because I think you, you bring out really, really great parts of people that they mm. might not even have know that they have. And I think that's what's happened with me is I'm like, Oh, I can be really, I feel really comfortable around Shay. This is awesome. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I've been told I've been easy to, to talk to and you are. Um, good. 
good. So this fits me, right? Being a podcast host. Is yeah, absolutely. Fun. Absolutely. It's so fun. So uh, as you, as our audience can see, we could probably talk for hours on uh, nothing, but this but, episode uh, will be four hours long. Please. Yeah. So pre pre warn you, yeah, yeah. but for those of you who don't know, Christoph is the producer and host of the podcast. I'm kind of a big deal. Little people, huge stories. He interviews people of short stature sharing the successes and struggles of their exceptional lives. He is standing at, you know, we talked about how tall he was. He is four feet, four inches and has a rare form of dwarfism. He has endured three major surgeries before the age of 18. Born and raised in Detroit, he has proven everyone wrong who discounted his ability. And after graduating from Michigan State University, he has worked as a TV producer while touring in a rock band. I cannot wait to dive into that. <laughs> and now he lives in LA where he's a drummer, an actor, stuntman, surfer, journalist, podcaster, and speaker, and all around amazing human being. Thank you so much for being here, Christoph. And I always like to start off with the first question of what does investing in people mean to you? Investing in people. Well, first of all, thank you for all of that introduction. Um yeah. Investing in people, I think, is seeing their humanity. You know, mm-hmm. I guess, I guess you really, I've been working on myself so much and realizing that I need to invest in myself and that it's okay to invest in myself because I, I've, I guess I've felt for so long that I just am going to go through life and tick off the the boxes of having the jobs or having, you know, the money and um, some of which I have. And oftentimes I do not have those things, <laughs> but you know, in the end, I, you know, you're just left with yourself. And so yeah. if you don't work on yourself and your relationships and how those, those things can feel good to you, then I think, you know, that's, that's the most important thing is just that, that investing in, in people. And, and I think it has to start with yourself. I've, I've kind of mm-hmm. been on at least a thought process of how self love happens or works yeah. or is supposed to happen. And I think the more I get into that, the more I feel like I can have better relationships with the, the people that I do love around me. I absolutely love your answer because that's kind of how this all started for me was really that self-love component. How is it that when we uh, invest in ourselves, then it automatically and just naturally overflows onto the people around us, onto our community, onto different projects that we may not have ever experienced had we not taken that time or that money or the effort or whatever it is that we're doing, the energy to really focus on ourselves first. Absolutely. And so I love that you mentioned that self-love and the relationships. Has there been a, a, a defining moment that you were like, wow, this happened to me. And so now I'm going to take time to really focus on me. Um, I don't know if it's, a. De- I, I think I move too slowly for defining moments. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I, I, I just have to take time with things maybe it was when I started meditating and just mm-hmm. learning how to do that because that like, like all the stuff that I do drumming and surfing, I, I, I don't know that. I mean, I call myself that because I do those things, 
but I don't call myself that because I always have to constantly be working on it. And so being someone who meditates, it's meditation was always something that I just was so scared to try because Hmm. are you going to do it right? Are you just wasting your time? What does it actually do for you? And you just, I have to at least just realize that it's a process, you know, and because I do it every day or almost every day, then I am doing it, but just taking that time and letting whatever happens in a meditation, like sometimes Mm -hmm. you have a more active mind and sometimes you can actually focus on your breath a little bit more or focus on the the things that you want to meditate on, Um, you know, and just being okay with that and being, I guess, more accepting of yourself or gentle with yourself. Some might say it, it, I think, you know, it all just starts with that. And that's, those are investments into, you know, yourself and into people as well, because if you create space in your, at least for me, I believe if if you create space in your mind and in your chest for yourself, you can have more space for other people too. I totally agree. And, you know, a lot of our listeners might be thinking, Oh, meditation, that's not for me, but I want you to, hear what Christoph is saying. He's talking about being versus doing. And we can do all kinds of things. We can have our to-do lists, our tasks, and check those lists off every single day. And yet at the end of the day, are we fulfilled by doing certain things? And meditation is definitely one of those things where you are learning the art of being. Mm-hmm. And just exactly what you said, you're not judging yourself. You're not criticizing yourself. You're just being in the moment and breathing and just accepting who you are, what and how you're showing up in that moment. So what a beautiful way to really start this conversation and, yeah. and yeah, to start this conversation, but also to really start life, right? Like if yeah. we were taught meditation in school, I can only imagine how different our lives would be, our society would be. Yeah. Yeah. And I I have a friend, I haven't spoken to her in a long time, but she teaches meditation in school and to kids, you know, mm. uh, eight-year-olds. And so I guess that might be like third grade or something like that. But she starts out with one minute. And if you can sit silently with yourself just for one minute and pay attention to your breathing, you know, you just meditated and the next time you the next time you do it maybe you want to try 2 minutes and her kids will do that they'll say oh i just did 1 minute can we do let's do 5 minutes now let's do like let's do 7 minutes now i think i can do 7 minutes and you you just kind of let yourself mm-hmm. enjoy it and not have it be this daunting task of uh meditation i don't have time for that it's not going to you know i really have to go i really have these things that i have to do it's just a few you don't have to bite off a, a, a 30 minute meditation to start. You know, you can literally sit down and just count your breaths for two minutes. And that's really helpful. I, I totally agree. And speaking of uh, jumping right in and, you know, becoming an expert. So how did you get into drumming? How did you get into surfing? How did that all come about? Yeah, it's maybe, a long practice, both of them. It's a long practice. So the, I think I was probably more into surfing f- before drumming, which is weird because I grew up in Michigan in the, the, the ton, one of the tundras of the Midwest where the sun does not shine for six and a half months. <laughs> um, and <laughs> I, I, I was always into surf and skate culture and mm. Thrasher magazine and, um, 
my family would go to Florida for spring breaks when I was growing up and spend time at Easter time with family that I had in Florida. And Mm -hmm. I just ended up popping into some surf shops and I just thought it was so cool that people could ride on a board on a wave. And I became obsessed. And I remember I sent a check for like $12 to surfer magazine for a subscription. And I didn't, I was so nervous that I didn't think that they would deliver the magazine to Michigan, even though I sent them a check. <laughs> Cause I'm sure they, they saw that and they're like, this can't be right. <laughs> who's this address is wrong. Who's getting a, a surfer magazine in Michigan. Right. Um, but it came, you know, they, they honored my check and my address and I got the magazine and I just, I was just glued to it all the time. And, you know, so we would visit the ocean or the Gulf of Mexico once a year for a week. Um, but I was just so obsessed with it. I thought it was so cool. And I mean, maybe I thought it was beautiful. I just thought it was rad. You know, I thought it was yeah. so cool. And how um, old were you? That was 14. I was, I think I got my subscription when I was, 14. So probably wow. a couple of years before that is when I popped into a surf shop and yeah. Um, but then drumming, you know, because I couldn't go surfing and, <laughs> you know, in Michigan, uh, as a young teenager, I just, I got obsessed with music and I was listening to Nirvana and Weezer mm-hmm. and green day and Foo Fighters and all these bands, you know, in the nineties right. and my hands are too small and my fingers are too fat to play a guitar or a stringed instrument well because it just yeah that doesn't work it just you know chunks every other they get in the way um and drums just made sense i think i also had a lot of aggression so i wanted to (laughs) beat on things that would you know respond with sound and so i saved up my money and i i bought a drum set and i just Mm -hmm. practiced every single day and you know that was a great winter winter time activity because right. I could just be in my mom's basement and banging away after school. And I just did that constantly. And so, mm-hmm. um, now so are you self-taught or did you hire someone? Uh, I, I was self-taught for a minute and then, yeah, I took lessons and lessons were, I wasn't really into my teacher and it's such a hard thing too, with music students. If you're, you have to hit the right teacher with the right student at the right time. Otherwise I I taught drums and I saw this with students where if the student is not that interested or it's the wrong time or your technique doesn't mesh up with their attitude, Uh it doesn't work. And my drum instructor really wanted me to learn to read music and Uh I kind of did, but I really just wanted to learn how to play come as you are by Nirvana. And um, and learn it like perfectly. And he wasn't necessarily about that. So, I mean, I learned a ton. I think I learned more just playing with my friends and, and mm-hmm. being in, you know, punk rock bands all the time. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I worked on all of it. And then, you know, I went to college and, uh, I played drums in college, but not all that much. But then once I graduated from Michigan State University, I, found out that it was one of the hardest times for the industry that I wanted to go into, which was audio production. Mm-hmm. Um, it flopped the first semester of my senior year. My professor said, Oh, this is the best I've ever seen the, the market for audio and video production. And then six months later, he said, this is the worst I've seen it in 30 wow. years. And so I left college and could not get a job. All the studios in Detroit cut their work in half and their client or the, um, their personnel in half and, 
you know, put locks on the doors and everything. And so I just kind of made a pact with myself that if I happened to turn 40, I decided that I would be upset if I didn't try to do something Mm -hmm. in music throughout my life. And, um, that was, that actually, I was reading a book recently called the tools Mm -hmm. and that's one of the tools in there is, is jeopardy. You know, if you Mm -hmm. put, put this, you know, um, it's not, I don't think it's a contingency, but if you put this, you know, element in front of you where you're going to, to feel sad or like left out that you don't go and try something, you know, your time is going to run out and you haven't done it. That's, it's a really good motivator to get you to do something. And yeah, I was exercising Jeopardy at like 21 years old with myself and yeah, I did it. So we, I played around in some, you know, bands that weren't that great in Detroit. And then I started a band with some friends and they had already met a number of the folks in the, um, the rock scene in Detroit. And we started playing shows and that led to six years of us playing together and driving across the country for six years touring. You know, we'd be gone for 10 weeks at a time and we, we went to Europe and played in Europe for a tour and it was just amazing. It was, you know, one of the, one of the best times I've ever had because you know, I've, I've seen so much of this country from the inside of a van and, <laughs> a t- and from like tiny, very dirty rock and roll stages across the country. <laughs> and I love that. Like, I think that's, you know, what a way to see, you can always go to restaurants and coffee shops and stuff like that, but like, yeah, recognizing how dirty a club is in Oklahoma city is, uh, it's, 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 it'll something, it's something I'll never forget. <laughs> Definitely builds character. That's for it, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah for yeah. sure. And you survive, you know what I mean? Like yes. you come back, you come back and you can tell the story. So. Absolutely. And you can walk away going, yeah, I was there. I was there and we burned it down and yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You'll always have a story, right? Always. Yeah. So many tour stories. It's, it, it's crazy. Yeah. Lots of, lots of cat couches and, um, uh, you know, cat couches. What is that? Oh, I've just slept on a lot of couches that have tons and tons and tons of cat hair because (laughs) whoever, whoever was putting us up for that. I mean, we didn't make a lot of money in the band, so Uh we, you got to make do with what you can. And one of our bandmates had family throughout half of the United States. So half of the time we were staying at her family's, houses like extended cousins uncles whoever you know yeah and and then the other times we were you know our our money from the clubs was going to gas in the van and food for us and if we didn't have to pay for a hotel you know that was more money that we as individuals didn't have to put into the van so um you know you gotta make it work however you can and and you know, for a long time, we didn't get paid. We didn't pay ourselves and, mm. and, but we also didn't have to pay to, to do it. Right. Love it. Love it. Yeah. You know, you mentioned, um, well, let me back up and just say, that's one of the many things I believe that we just really bonded over when we met is I'm also a drummer. However, I was not in a band or got extensive in any way, shape or form like you did, but I find it so fascinating with people who are not drummers 
really understand how your brain is split into quadrants with each <laughs> limb going a different direction and moving it totally differently. And for someone of your stature, to, that adds another layer of difficulty onto it. So how did um, teachers or like other people look at you and be like, are you sure you can be a drummer? You know, how did that experience, you know, come, come to you? Yeah, that actually happened a lot when we were on tour because I, as a little person, you develop a pretty tough skin, a thick skin, ASAP. You know, as soon I'm as sure. people start making comments about you and you can't field all of them and you just have to be absorbing or yeah. trying to bounce them off of you, your, your skin gets thick pretty quickly. So by the time I, I, we were touring, my, my skin was thick and I didn't, you know, I didn't pay attention to stuff. I knew how to ignore people really well. Um, and that was my defense mechanism. That's how I kept myself safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, f- folks would stare and make comments and I, we didn't have a lo- a roadie. So I was loading in my drums and everything on my own every single night. So folks that were in the venue at four PM, just getting a burger and a beer would see this four foot four guy like walking in with the drum set being like, what the hell is this guy doing? You know? And then, you know, getting on stage and playing like it's, it, I, it was really, really confusing. And I didn't notice it so much, but my bandmates noticed it because they weren't little people and they were, right. you know, they would see this and they cared about me. So they were like, you know, what is, what are these assholes trying to do? You know, like mm-hmm. he's, he, he's a band member just like the rest of us. And yeah, I, I, I just put it out, you know, of my, of my mind. It, it was water off the duck's back. And um, that's not always the best thing because that tough skin can really keep you from being sensitive when you need mm-hmm. to be sensitive. And that's not, that was something I learned later on in life where you know, it's, it is helpful, but you're still dealing with people, you know, and yeah. you still want to be able to be sensitive to, to who they are because we're all soft on the inside, you know? And, mm-hmm. and, and so, yeah, I, I really just, but you have to manage it too, because, you know, do I really have to go and teach everybody every single day at every single venue across the U S and, and tell them about dwarfism and about me. And it's like, it's just exhausting, you know, and, and the folks that really kind of wanted to talk to me, obviously I would talk to them. I'm, you know, I've always been really open. Maybe I didn't realize how open I was at some times or, but you know, the folks that really wanted to get to know me, I would, I, I would, you know, open up and, um, yeah, it, it was, it was interesting and tough and it definitely led to me having to try and understand why I turned out the way I have, you know, at some point, because mm-hmm. all that stuff influences what, what comes down the line. Mm, absolutely. I, I just wholeheartedly a hundred percent believe that our childhood experiences shape our adult decisions. I was listening to an episode recently of yours where you were talking all about this and I, I 100% agree with you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And as you were talking about that tough exterior, 
I mean, I was totally doing the same thing as a, as a child who grew up with, around abuse and alcoholism and, and pornography and all, all the things and got this tough exterior where I was, it wasn't necessarily uh, water off a duck's back for me. It was more about just internalizing it and not yeah. saying anything, not reacting, not even sometimes I wouldn't even respond. It was just more of a, a, a shutdown kind of a thing. And then it wasn't until I was in an abusive relationship where I realized I'm not vulnerable. Like I, I don't even know how to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And when I got out, I was like, I didn't even know how to pronounce the word correctly. So, because I was so, it was so foreign, such a foreign concept to me. Yeah. So how has, well, you kind of mentioned it, but was there a particular time where you really learned that being vulnerable, being more sensitive, being more in tuned with who you are has really benefited you in more of a courageous and confident kind of way. Yeah. Um, I have a thought in my head. I wanted to respond of one thing that you said yeah. about the water off the duck's back part before I get into that. Um, I think other people see it as water off the duck's back and that's your protection, your, your protection. But I don't think internally that's really how it works. Like right. it, it still sticks. It might look like you aren't phased by that, but I think you you absolutely are, and you'll you'll have to come to terms with it at some point and and figure it out for yourself. Well, I'm just gonna pause right there and say those are the phrases that you hear in the middle of the night when you're awake and can't sleep, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. The I'm I'm so sorry. Can you please ask that question <laughs> yeah. again? Because yeah. I was stuck in this head of, of like, oh, I want to just comment on this. But yeah. No, I'm uh, glad you did. I'm glad you did. You know, we talked about a defining moment before. So was there something that had happened that you were like, okay, I now know that I really need to work on this being this hard exterior, being more sensitive, being more vulnerable, having that ability, because you know that the other side of that is actually courage, is actually gives you confidence. Is there, was there something that happened that you started to work on that, even if it was a slow process? Yeah, it's a slow process. I, I need to get hit over the head a couple of times, I think, before I actually figure something out. But it's relationships, you know, it's, it's looking back and thinking about how relationships happened or worked or because for the longest time that, that tough skin for me was just, oh, that other person, you know, they're too much this or they're not enough that. And it's like, no, they're just them. You're not accepting them. You know, like you, you don't want to make the space for them in your world, my world. Christoph didn't want to make the space for it, you know? And that's the thing that as little people, it's, it's tough to get into relationships anyway, because people don't take you seriously. Mm. There are so few options for, at least for dating, you know, for in my scenario. And so you, you just kind of, I hate to say, I need to find a a decent way to say this, but like you you can't be as choosy. Mm. If that makes sense. Like, you know, you're, you're the one who's allowed to have someone, you know, like you, like you, you, there's so many folks that I've tried to date who just, we got along so well and things were, were going so great, but they didn't want to take the risk. They didn't want to be seen with me in a romantic situation. They didn't want to figure out how to deal with me in public or in, in other ways when people would see things and, Mm. um, and see us or, you know, there's comments, you know, like you have to, 
you have to endure people staring and, and saying things. And so I, I had this mentality of people need to be a certain way for me to like them. But, and then also at the same time, like I feel I needed to be a certain way for other people to like me. And so it was this budding of heads that just occurred. And I've had relationships that have broken through that and they've been great relationships where I've learned a lot. They haven't lasted because uh, I'm not together with anyone right now, but it's just something that you learn what you can from those relationships and figure out what, what it is that went wrong or what you could have done differently and just try to apply that to the, to the next one. And so it's just been a process for me and it's kind of new, you know, this is all kind of been stuff that I've worked on in the last couple of years, because I have had some relationships where they've, it, it's been more difficult for me to navigate the emotions and, you know, the acceptance and different personalities and stuff like that. And if you, if you want to end up having meaningful relationships, when you come out of this, you, you really kind of have to work on yourself and work on accepting that a relationship is going to be work with me anyway. I feel like, I feel like it's going to be, it, it's got to be work. It just, I haven't been in a situation where it's just like it all clicks and it all happens and let's just go. Well, I think all relationships are work, right? Whether Absolutely. it's coworkers or family or, you know, in romantic relationships or, you know, partner relationships types of thing. And I love that you brought this up because there's such a, need really in this, in in our society to be able to look at ourselves as how do I want to show up in this relationship and use it as a learning tool rather than saying, what is wrong with me? Instead of looking at it from a place of growth. And I don't care what relationship you're in, whether it's a partner or a boss, or, you know, uh, maybe it's a parent. We really have to to, to learn to look at ourselves first in a way that is, how can I grow from this? How can I learn from this rather than from a place of, of, you know, pointing fingers too? you know, you could have easily pointed, well, that person was X, Y, and Z, and you didn't do any of that. You were literally looking at what it is that, that I can learn from this. Well, I've done a lot of that in the past. You know? <laughs> well, early, well, I think we all have, right? Earlier on. Yeah. yeah that was, yeah. that's, that's the thing that keeps you, again, it's a protection. Sure, you know, absolutely. It, keep, it keeps you safe and, and, and keeps you, it's kept me alone, you know, in those situations, instead of saying like, oh, this is tough. Let's try and figure it out. It's like, nah, I don't have time for this. Let's just not do this anymore. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's something, uh, a stereotype, and I'm just going to use this not in any way, shape or form towards you, but a stereotype for people who are little people, right? They think of, oh, you have that, uh, what is it called? Uh, he was a, a guy on a horse. That's all I can see. Nepal, General. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so, and I just had someone talk about this from a news anchor, a local news anchor the other day, who's five, three or something. And mm-hmm. there's such a, uh, a difference in how you show up because just by knowing you the short time that I've known you, you are genuine, authentic, and just show up as sunshine and love that you really literally like from the moment I met you, you just have this, you exude such acceptance 
And I really think it's because you've really accepted who you are and who you, how you know that, you know, like your podcast, you really bring in other people who have experienced these amazing, exceptional, beautiful things. And you are an example of that. It's a process, you know, like it's, that's what I realize is that it's, Mm. it's, it's like that meditation. It's like surfing. It's like drumming. Like you just have to always be working at the process and I think that's, I think that's my new goal is to, is to just recognize that I'm wherever I end up quotes, you know, um, whatever the goal is, like the goal is now just to keep working at all these things. I love it. And how did you, so you've been a drummer now we've done and, and surfer. So how did you get into being an actor, stuntman? Like what did you go to college for all the things? So I, I went to Michigan state university for telecommunications and film. So essentially audio and video production. Um, and then I started the rock band and I was working at the same time I was touring in the band. I was working as a producer for two local government television stations in the Detroit area, which government jobs are great. So kids out there, if you want to start a rock band, get a government job because you can, (laughs) Because you can't get fired from a government job and you can leave for t- to tour for four weeks and still come back and have a job. Nice. Um, and uh, I mean, as a part-timer, you can't do that as a part-timer, yeah, yeah. I think. But <clears throat> so, yeah, so I, I would work these, you know, television jobs and, and go out on the road. I decided that after six years of touring and really not making a living in the band, I needed to move on. And so I, I left the band and I moved to California with the intention of getting in more bands and being a sideman, being a touring drummer and making my living that way. And so I auditioned for all these bands and learned their, their tunes and, you know, was, was doing it. I think I got a couple gigs. My, the, the biggest gig that I got right away was that I played drums on the Ellen DeGeneres show with nice. a nine-year-old prodigy guitarist from Japan. And mm. it was so much fun because we just, you know, booked this, booked this show and played with him and it was a blast. Um, uh, fun. One of my best friends is uh, an incredible bass player who happens to be Japanese as well. And so a huge selling point was that Takashi can talk Japanese to Yuto and the guy's like, all right, cool. Let's, let's do it. That's perfect. So we did that. And because of my size and I'm in Hollywood, I ended up getting an agent a month after moving to Los Angeles with pretty much zero acting experience at all. The agent took my headshots, started to submit me for things. And I worked on a television pilot kind of right away. And I was with 10 other little people on this pilot. And that was really the first time that I was around so many little people. Mm. And that was really eye-opening because for the first 30 years of my life, I really just kept all little people more than arm's length away from me. You know, I just kept kept them away. I was not comfortable around them. I didn't want to associate with them. I am a little bit on the taller side for a little person, and I'm also pretty physically active. So there was a part of me that said, like, why do I belong in this, mm. you know? even though I've had reconstructive surgeries, you know, because of my dwarfism, um, you know, I still was denying like the fact that I 
I was so much like these other people and sure. I should just be friends with them. And, um, yeah. And then a couple months after that, I got called by universal pictures to work on a movie called Paul. They hired me mm-hmm. for three months over the summer and moved me to Santa Fe, New Mexico to be a stand in for a CGI alien character oh, wow. show. And I just had the time of my life, you know, I, and <clears throat> Halfway through the film, I, I still wanted to just play music. I, I was still planning to come back to LA and just like, I'm a Detroit musician. This is what I do. It's not, I don't, okay, I've made some money on a movie, but I'm going to come back and play music. But I was encouraged or just kind of a light bulb went off and I ended up asking if they would help me get my SAG card, my union card. Mm. They, gave, they gave me a line on the show and then I was able to join SAG and you know, it all kind of happened like that. And then more acting jobs came in and I've bounced back and forth between Detroit and Hollywood a couple of times, um, over the past 10 years. But, um, you know, now I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm kind of finding a stride of balancing drumming with acting and some stunts too. I, I'm pretty selective on the stunts that I do. I, you know, sometimes I've gotten called to fall out of a tree and they say, Oh yeah, it'll be like, a three foot fall. I know production, a three foot fall means an eight foot fall. Oh, wow. Um, And it's, I don't, I I don't have the body for that. I want to do, you know, getting paid, whatever that pays, um, isn't worth the injury or the pain that will come from, you know, doing that for me physically. And so I've, I've learned to just say no to, I've, I've done some some stunts and I've worked with weapons and things like that on shows. Um, I played a brutal murderer murderer on a show called twin peaks. Mm, yeah. And, um, you know, like I said, some stuff you're, you're totally on board for and other things you're like, no, I'm going to just pass on this. So <laughs> having a spinal fusion, it, it kind of, mm. you know, gives the answer right away. It's like, no, I don't mm. want to fall. I don't want to do those types of things. I don't blame you. That sounds horrible. Yeah. And you said three feet. I'm thinking, yeah, for someone who's taller, it might be three, look like three feet. Yeah. Well, I'm talking like, you know, I, yeah, I know. Horizontal, like <laughs> falling out of a tree. Through, yeah. Yeah. No. I, I, good. I'm glad you didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just listening and thinking about, you know, how you kind of started off this episode was, really about you looking at your life at 40 saying, what am I going to regret? So have you, can you look back now? I don't know if you're, you're probably not even 40 yet, but can you look back now and think, I, yeah, I don't have regrets or is there something that's still nagging at you that you want to get done? I'm 42. (laughs) You don't look (laughs) it. You're so young. Come on, come on. Um, yeah, this, this bald head is 42 years old. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I definitely have regrets. You know, I wish I would have been better in some relationships. I wish I would have done better in high school as a student. I kind of wish I would have gone to New York City to go to college mm. because I just, I don't know, I really loved New York. I, you know, I wish I would have been able to, um, accept myself and other people and, and just been in a healthier headspace hmm. earlier on in my life 
so that I, I necessarily wouldn't have to feel sometimes like I'm playing catch up with those things. But, you know, regrets are just whatever, because if you dwell on them, you're just wasting your own time. And I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the things that I just mentioned about, you know, the regrets because I've had an amazing life and, and I love my life and I, I, I love the things that I've done and I've done a lot of stuff by myself. I guess maybe the biggest regret is that I've done too much by myself and mm. it, it would have been nice to have had somebody to, to share all the crazy weird things that I've done. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, did I only get into those crazy weird things because I was a solo guy, you know, for so long, right. Um, you know, it's the chicken or the egg, but yeah, I guess maybe it's good to have those regrets and realize that they're there, but you can't focus on them. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can't focus on them. I have to just say, okay, yeah, you know, you that missed the mark in some respect and let's, let's move on and we'll hit it better next time. You know, I love that you said that. So I think there's a, um, our listeners are, you know, kind of between that age of mid thirties to mid fifties who are literally thinking like, okay, so what do I want the next half of my life to look like? And maybe they're finding themselves like unhappy in their career and, or they're transitioning from now they've retired from the military and now they're getting out and going into something else. So what advice would you say? So they don't live with regret. What advice would you give them to really help them move forward? Figure it out, figure out that jeopardy element, you know, figure that out. And, and, um, I'm from Michigan and I surf, (laughs) you know, like I, I, I love the ocean so much and it's a huge part of my life. And I, I recently worked on a documentary film and I've mentioned on the, on the film that, you know, it's, it's life and death. Honestly, it's the, the death is me sitting at home, not doing the things and the life is me putting myself in danger in some respects. Um, but you know, having the, the exhilaration and meeting the, the people and building the self-confidence in myself to be able to paddle out to some waves and catch them and ride them and do that with friends and get tossed and, you know, like, um, get held underwater and it, you know, just doing all those things. It just, kind of rejuvenates your spirit and Mm. it makes you feel like all that stuff is okay and you can do it you know and i think that that's that's the thing like find the jeopardy and and put yourself in some sort of jeopardy that that makes sense for you you know don't you know find find the thing that's right that's going to push you in a good direction or, or make it so that you know, when you are going through life, you're, you're realizing that this goal is something that's really important to you and you have to achieve it because it's who you are. Well, and you are definitely a, a, an achiever because then in, in midst of all of this, you've also started a podcast as well, which the name I'm kind of a big deal is the <laughs> absolute best uh, because, Aww, thank of, you. because of my friend who um, is a hairstylist who used to flip his non-existent hair because he was also bald at 20 and would say, I'm kind of a big deal. And I nice, nice. said that I was like, Oh my God, this is perfect. <laughs> perfect. 
So how did you get started in podcasting? You know, how long have you been doing it? Who do you, who do you interview and what are the stories that they share? Yeah, absolutely. I started about two years ago. My friend Jenny, who I played music with in Detroit, she, she had actually started a podcast and we had reconnected and she was telling me, man, you've done all these crazy jobs. You should start a show about your life. I think people need to hear about, you know, what you've done. And so we, she was my co-host for the first five episodes, I believe. And we just sat down and just talked and, you know, whatever came out, came out. And because she's known me for so long, she was kind of interviewing me a little bit. Yeah. And I shared the trailer with uh, a friend of mine who is a little person. And she said, wow, why is this so much, so much a part of my story too? Why does this resonate with me? Mm. And then the light bulb just went off and I said, okay, yeah, this is it. Like I, I can tell my stories at some point, but these other folks, these little people, they don't have an outlet. There's no messaging for us out there in a real way that says this is the, the story of what it's like to be a little person. And it's not, you know, what is your, what's it like to be at the angle that you're at? It's like, no, I go out for jobs and I have crazy stories and it's been really depressing. And this absolutely ridiculously funny thing happened to me. Let's talk about all of it, you know, because everybody has those in our lives we all get into some crazy stuff, you know, at some point and. Or you're not living. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. And little people live a lot of life and it's, I I just love that these stories are out there and I, I think that people really need to hear them. And so that was the shift for me. I lost Jenny as a co-host. We're still great friends, but she has, she has two kids and she has a job and she's got a lot on her plate. So, um, I was so sad to not have her, but I, you know, I just said, okay, I'm going to try this myself. After Jenny told me like eight times, you can do this yourself. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I just kind of did it and I, I love it now. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's such a fun thing for me to do. It's enlightening every time I speak with somebody. Um, my guests are just the most amazing people. And I learn something every single time I sit down with, with any of them. I learned so much, you know, just not a little bit. It's, it is so much. I've, I've interviewed the, the tiniest stripper in the world. I interviewed the first female president of the Caterpillar Foundation, which is one of the largest humanitarian outreach foundations. Um, interviewed the first person to be first little person to be featured in a commercial as a person Mm. because so many times we as little people are only allowed to wear costumes or have our faces covered up or be in prosthetics or in a foam you've never seen a little person in a commercial at least a major commercial um as just a human Mm. we're always elves and leprechauns and monsters and trolls and all this other stuff and She's actually been in two in the last year, which is incredible. It's, it's incredible that that's happening, but it's also like, it's, it's 2021. Like right. we're still, we're, we're here. We're still here. Um, the first professional little person skateboarder 
interviewed mm-hmm. him. So there's all these folks that just come from yeah. all these different walks of life that I, I, I feel like when they go on other shows and I'm not judging other shows, uh, please ha- every show have a little person on. But I think, you know, when you have somebody who comes from that perspective that can ask, you know, I'm not afraid to ask the questions of, you know, how is that going to make you feel instead of like, how cool was that? You know? Right. Right. It's, it, it's, a, it's a different thing because I'm not, I'm really not afraid of, of the folks just spilling their guts or having them say like, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. Cause no one has ever said, no, I don't want to talk about that. They're like, thanks for asking. Cool. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk. Yeah. I love it. And you have such a great platform to do it on. And I'm glad that you share your story because there is, like you just said, like it's 2021 and we're still dealing with this. Like I just got called for an elf audition a month ago. You know, it's still, it's still happening, but you know, that we still, we, we still are in the, in the eyes of all the corporations and the brands, we're still the elves and the leprechauns that deserve to be in costume Mm. only. Mm. That's, I think when you told me that in um, podcast movement, I, I remember tearing up thinking, oh my gosh, what is this? What is this that we live in? This yeah. bubble most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, that's how you learn about it though, through media, through yes. commercials, everyone, there are so many folks who come here from different countries and how do they learn the language? You know, if they don't know how to speak English before they learn it through media and listening to songs and all of these other things. So are you ever going to learn that a little person is not an elf from watching, you know, right. Ford commercials where there's 10 elves running around? Like, no, you're not. You're going to think that they're just magical creatures that don't have any family or uh, emotions or, you know, that's just what they do. Well, Christoph, you are magical. So we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. So, uh, spe- tip my hat to you. <laughs> so speaking of being magical, what would you like to be remembered for? What do you want your legacy to be? Um, oh, geez. I, I think I want to be remembered as someone who genuinely cared about people. Mm. And also somebody who went after what he loved. Mm. I don't know. That's a great answer. And I I can go ahead. Yeah, I think that's it. (laughs) Yeah, it's a great answer. And I can say uh, from knowing you, you are living out your legacy. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I got to keep going. Time to keep going. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, um, you know, our time is getting close to an end. So tell um, our audience where they can connect with you, social media, websites, all the things. Yeah, absolutely. So you can listen to my podcast called I'm Kind of a Big Deal on podcast platforms around the globe. And you can find me on Instagram at Big Deal Pod. Awesome. And if uh, they want to check out your, your drumming skills and your rock, <laughs> rock era, is there any albums out there they should be looking for? Oh, geez. Um, I don't even know if you can find <laughs> albums. Um, th- there's, so I have a website and it's C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-Z-D.com. Okay. <laughs> you might have to play that back so you can get it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's some, 
they're mostly production productions that I've played drums on. I've played in the band with Jimmy Kimmel, um, with a Cleto and the Cletones from Jimmy Kimmel and on a couple movies and TV shows. So that stuff is in there and that's weird and fun and crazy. Uh, yeah. So awesome. I love it. And it sounds like you have a makings of a book. So we may have to talk about that. Sometime. <laughs> I, I, I've got so many ideas for things that I need to, that I want to do. And I feel like I need to do. Mm. There's a lot. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here, for taking time out of your busy schedule for, for just, you know, having this conversation. It was so fun. And I had a blast. Thank you so much, Shay. Yes. And I would like to leave with this question of what phrase scripture or mantra are you living by right now? So this one I've, I've had for a really long time. Um, there's a Keith Jarrett record called the, the survivor's suite. And he plays this crazy avant-garde jazz music. And I think the record was recorded in the mid seventies somewhere, but the quote is, and those, and those that create out of the Holocaust of their own inheritance, anything more than a convenient self-made tomb shall be known as survivors. Wow. Wow. That was deep. It's it. I don't, I I've just kind of, I read that a ton of times when I, when I first opened the, the jacket and mm-hmm. it's just kind of stuck with me and it's, it's wordy, you know, go out there and live your life the best you possibly can live your life is yeah. basically it. But um, yeah. And those that create out of the Holocaust of their own inheritance, anything more than a convenient self-made tomb shall be mm. known as survivors. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> Well, again, thank you so much for being here. Thank and you. It's been this fun. A blast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And thank, thank you for listening to the Power of Investing in People podcast. Uh, if you like this episode, because I know you did, because Christoph is just an amazing human being. So please go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review and subscribe. And until next time, let's get fired up. Did you know that when you share the knowledge that you gained from an experience, it becomes wisdom? There is power in sharing your voice of wisdom inside a book to leave a legacy for generations to learn from your experience. And then add collaborating with other leaders. Your legacy makes an even bigger impact. Like co-author Joe Bogdan, who shares in his chapter how being better has no finish line. He said his experience in the hashtag Firestarters book project has been nothing short of amazing. From him being a first-time author, he loved our supportive approach and we earned his trust immediately. If you're curious about joining the next collection of Firestarters co-authors, then join the movement today at firestartersbookproject.com.